0: The lie that I believed for so long that somewhere in my journey I remembered was that we're always seeking for the perfect final clarity, but it doesn't exist. And so the the best we can do is just get a little bit more clarity now than we had the moment before. And if we're doing that, we're moving towards clarity. But if we're trying to seek this ultimate truth of clarity, we're going to get stuck and we're going to spin because it doesn't exist.
1: My name is Evan Meyer, and you're listening to The Undomesticate Podcast, a show where we explore how to deprogram domestication, restore the health of our body, mind, and spirit, and return to our sovereign roots. Welcome to Episode 3 of The Undomesticate Podcast with Chris Marhevka. Chris is a dear friend of mine, and he's also a business partner. Together with Alan and Nick, who you can hear in Episode 1 and 2, we formed the company 13 Pines, which is... Uh, a project that's really dedicated to the conscious evolution of men. And if you're interested in what we're up to and how we're bringing transformation to the world, go ahead and listen to those other episodes. That's episode one with Alan McGrath and two with Nick Warner, who are the other two founders of 13 Pines, respectively. So back to Chris. Chris has got a really cool story. In his 20s, he was a competitive CrossFit athlete, an Ironman competitor, a gym owner, a serial entrepreneur, And just one of those really badass type A personalities. But this all came back to slap him in the face when a sudden brain injury while he was competing left him debilitated and stuck in bed recovering for months. And then during that time of recovery where he couldn't really move and had constant headaches, he had to reassess his entire life. So in this episode, we dive into Chris's journey of healing from his brain injury, how he went from an intense type A personality to one of literally the chillest guys I know how he got into somatic healing and running retreats doing inner child work, why we shouldn't try to get rid of our childhood wounds, how to integrate deep healing experiences into your regular life, the importance of small wins and building momentum, preparing for fatherhood, and much, much more. And hey, again, if you've been enjoying this podcast, please go ahead and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. This makes a massive difference in making sure we can curate the best guests and deliver the best show possible. And finally, go ahead and sign up for our newsletter at undomesticate.com to receive exclusive episodes, show notes, as well as more great content on how to improve your body, mind, and spirit. All right. You're ready. I'm ready. Let's dive into today's episode. Enjoy this conversation with the one and the only Chris Marhefko. All right, Chris. Uh, Chris Marhefko, we're sitting here again. At uh, Alan's Casa, anyone who's watching this may have seen a few different podcasts recorded here, uh, just enduring the mid-July, late-July Texas heat. Uh, mm-hmm. You're a little bit more equipped for it than I am. But uh, hey, man, I just wanted to to welcome you and, and just uh, share, you know, for people listening or watching this that, that don't know, Chris and I met, I like, think, two and a half years ago, maybe mm-hmm. a couple of years ago. Another one of my buddies that I met through Men's Work, uh, John Wineland, and we were out in Panamint Valley. These are the best memories I have. Really <laughs> getting to know you is is being out in the desert, you know, with fifty dudes, and it's like late at night. Where we get into the practice space, and John has us do these like really intimate, <laughs> like sexual energy practices, like I totally. Knew this was coming. Yeah, yeah. Like, well, I just gotta state it. This is like what bonded my friendship. Like, who yeah. is this handsome hunk of man? Yeah. Um. But, but yeah. No, we just we just had we had some beautiful, energetic, you know, practice of really opening each other's hearts. Which for mm. a lot of people might be listening to this or watching this and think that's totally weird or absurd, but. Uh, It was actually quite, quite beautiful. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean. And I think, uh, yeah, like I said, I I think
0: that's when I fell in love with you, man. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the the feeling is certainly mutual for sure. And that was by far the the most intimate sexual practice I've done with a man. (laughs)
1: Yeah, and just for context, like, totally, you know, no, not really any contact at all, close on. Like, when people hear this sexual <laughs> practice, are like, what the fuck are you guys doing out there? Having an orgy or something like that, yeah, but, uh... Not at all. No, it just, uh, I, I left that night feeling very confused, though, for sure. No, <laughs> <laughs> no man, but it's good to have you. And so, uh, yeah, so that did really solidify our friendship, and of mm-hmm. course now, you know, uh, Depending on when this is released, people may or may not know, but we're forming a project together, mm-hmm. 13 Pines, with Alan and Nick, who have both been on this podcast as well, uh, you know, to, to really serve men. And that's something that you do, mm-hmm. that's something that we all do, and, and we're really excited to, to be collaborating in this space, or at least I can speak for myself. I'm really excited. Mm-hmm. And I'm, for people that don't know you or, or might might have not heard of your work or be familiar with what you do, maybe you could just give a little mm-hmm. a little bit of background. A little about, backstory. Yeah, well, yeah. Where, where you came from and how you got here, because I know you have a really interesting story.
0: Yeah. Yeah. As I imagine most people you have on the show, I mean, there's a lot of layers and, and it could be a long story, but for sake of like getting into it, um, I define my past as up for the first about 30 years, give or take, uh, almost to the day I was living like a, a very, um, I guess I would call it traditional, but just this like do good in school, like get the good grades, get the good job, like work until you're 65, retire, and then like maybe enjoy life. Um, most of my life up until that point was defined by, um, doing well in the material world. And I didn't really know much else. I was, um, I, I, I went to school for finance simply because I was told that's what the highest paid jobs were for. And, um, Quickly realized, like that life of wearing a suit and tie and doing the business lunches and six a.m. sales meetings was not for me, and um, not. And I, I look back, it wasn't even because it was hard, because I was so used to doing hard things. We were talking about it last night. Like both of us have this quality where we can just like put the head down and grind at anything. But there was a, a moment in my early twenties where uh, I realized I, I had done all those things. And I had this finance job, and it just wasn't me, and I didn't know why. But I was like, I can't do this for another day, let alone the rest of my life. And so I quit that job, and that sent me on like probably my first soul search of my life in my early twenties, um, where everyone was like, "What the hell are you doing?" And um, I didn't know, and so I, I just I took a lot of time to myself, spent a lot of time. In the woods uh i was sleeping on friend's couches and um just traveling around and i look back i had like the least money i've had in my life um i had the least clarity but i was also i felt completely free and completely happy mm-hmm. and that was like that was a seed that I'll, I'll i would have gone back to many times in my journey because um, it was like an anchor point for me of like like what fulfillment actually was. And I realized during that time I needed less money than I thought. Like I was loved by the people that loved me regardless of like what I was doing for a career. Um, and, and that led me into discovering entrepreneurship. I had a great mentor in my early twenties, um, a good friend of mine's dad. And he introduced me to just, uh, living life on your terms. And that got me into entrepreneurship. Um, I started a gym in my early 20s, owned that for 10 years, started another business in the in the wellness space, a meal delivery company and and while I started those things for the right reasons, I found myself really slide back in the pattern of succeeding in the material world, scaling businesses and like losing sight of the freedom that I had found, the happiness, the joy, the fulfillment that I had found and I I slid into this really deep pattern of overworked, unhealthy, despite being in the wellness space and, like, supposed to be, like, a pillar of that, but just popping caffeine pills and not sleeping. I was sleeping, like, three hours a night. I was working 100 hours a week and just, like, like beyond stress. I look back at that that boy back then and just uh, partly in admiration and awe of like, how the hell he did that. And then also like a lot of sadness of like, wow, I I felt I needed to do that. Um, but I really, I, I, I think I just got trapped in like my own story of what I thought I needed to do. And that was just like work harder and harder and harder. And I probably would be continuing on that path, but I hit a moment where just everything stopped for me. And it was, it was this, uh, wake up call where, um, and we may get into the story, but the capillaries in my brain exploded and I had this injury that just sat me down. And then that, that I would say was like the real, real pivotal turning point in my journey where, um, I had to slow everything down to basically a halt. I couldn't work anymore. I had this like splitting headache every day for seven months and I couldn't work out anymore. It was a big part of my life. And
1: you're um, a big CrossFit dude, right? Yeah, yeah. So, can you just tell us a little bit about the, the actual moment where that yeah happened? Just cause yeah, I, stories like this are always kind of fascinating <laughs> and give people some perspective. And...
0: Yeah, I, <laughs> I'm a pretty chill dude now, which yes. we talked about. Yeah. Um, but back then, most people would have defined me as like intense, like super intense. Mm-hmm. Um, I was taking everything to the extreme. I was um, at that point. I was competitively competing in triathlon and Ironman distance triathlons, um, which is like a lot. And also at the same time I was competing in CrossFit, which is also a lot. And, um, I was training easily on average 20 hours a week, if not more, um, really pushing my, my body to its limits. And leading up to this moment, I had uh, a year. It was, it was like, it was right around the time I turned 30 we're just injury after injury after injury and they got progressively worse. Um, and again, I I just was too narrow focused or too stubborn to see those signs to slow down. Um, and I ignored them and I was competing in a a CrossFit competition and, uh, we, we were towards the end of this like really intense workout and, um, I had a barbell over my head and was like max heart rate and I could, I could just like feel it was like, I'd, I'd gone to what we call the pain cave like many times, but it just felt different. And I felt this like pressure building in my head, like as if like a, a balloon was being blown up, like inside of my brain. It's like, yeah, it's hard to explain, but, and I just, I was just like pushing. It was like the last few minutes and I was like, "It's fine. I've been here before." Um, and then all of a sudden, uh, I just felt this grenade go off in my head. It was like an explosion, and a, and just a, a pop, and the lights went out. Um, you went unconscious. Yeah, I went completely unconscious and with I, the barbell over your with head? the barbell over my head. Oh, yeah, Christ, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I was doing overhead lunges with a barbell. <laughs> and um it's a great exercise to pass out in yeah yeah it was it was an early man i came to i was on my back and there was there was like one or two people around me like are you okay and like all all i heard was like blaring like techno music in the background right. or whatever it was and then like just people mouthing i couldn't really understand them mm. and just these bright halogen lights i remember it vividly and um it was it was confusion that quickly morphed into like the deepest fear that I've had in my life because for the first moment I felt completely out of control I had no idea what just happened I didn't know where I was I was so confused um and you know I (laughs) even back then in probably the most vulnerable state I had been to that point I still had this story of like, I'm okay. And like, I didn't know how to ask for help. So I just kind of like, was brushing people off. I was like, no, no, I'm fine. And I was just kind of like wobbling off and like people were carrying me and, and in my head, I'm feeling like, uh, it felt like a baseball bat getting hit in the back of my head, right? Where your skull meets your spine. Mm-hmm. And just every heartbeat was like a baseball bat to the back of the head. And I'm just like, so disoriented. And that continued for months, um, that sensation and, you know, I, I did all the, the Western medicine stuff and I did all the scans and, you know, I didn't have anything that was traditionally diagnosed, um, which on one, on one hand, like at first I was like, oh, that's a good thing. I don't have any, but then nobody could really tell me what it was. Yeah. Um, you want some answers want some answers like, and I, I, what the fuck was that oh yeah. man i i have so much empathy for people that go through that in any area of life where you yeah. just want answers and you just want someone to tell you like what is wrong with me yeah. and i think that's actually served me a lot in my work now because i i get it i like really get that mm-hmm. um and and at the same time like nobody could give them to me and and this was my journey to be on and um, I, I did ultimately like find some relief in in some 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 chiropractic, some acupuncture, some massage, and really looking back, all that was happening was they were they were helping to relax all this tension that I'd been carrying, all this weight and this burden, especially in my shoulders and my neck, and mm. and also just help my nervous system relax. Up until that point, I didn't know what that was. I was of course not. I was just operating like. Like, fully caffeine, full adrenaline, like, full gas pedal. Doing,
1: like, the most, like, cortisol-inducing
0: workouts possible. You know <laughs> yes. what I mean? Just, like… All the time.
1: Just, like, adding 20, 22 hours, whatever it is, stress a week in training. Because I've done a bit of CrossFit for a while, man. And, like, it is extremely taxing on your nervous system. So much. Right? And, and then, obviously, like, we're not built to, to, to do triathlons. It's an amazing feat, and I have a lot of respect for it. But it's just not what the human body is… It's 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 that's why it's such a mind game mm-hmm. because our body is failing us long before yeah. our, you know our our brain does and I think that's what gets through a lot of people gets people through those types of competitive situations so yeah just like you know you're running on eleven all the time mm-hmm. and then to your point before is like. <laughs> Which is so common as entrepreneurs, you leave the corporate world because you're like, I don't, you know, and then you you end up just working way harder, like you're you're going for freedom. And then you're like, well, the clock, there is no clock out now. You know, I could be working 24 hours a day. And if you're like us, where we're a little bit insane, we will, like, we'll just, if we don't have the checks and boundaries, Mm -hmm. we'll just work ourselves into the ground. Mm -hmm. Right. That's one of the kind of shadows of being able to grit your teeth and Mm -hmm. get shit done and and type A kind of personalities. Mm -hmm. I'm curious, like through all that recovery, because I know you as someone without knowing you in that lifetime, because mm-hmm. it feels like another life mm-hmm. almost, you are one of the most relaxed, like chillest dudes, which I was, I was talking to you last night. It's such a departure. You don't often see people that can really do a 180 like that, because I can resonate. One of the things that I always get when people give me feedback, like one of the first things they always write is intense, right? like, <laughs> intense, like, like really intense. Like I'm like fuck, am I really that intense? Because when you're that way, you just, you don't even know, yeah. you know what I mean? Like the, the way I speak, the way I, I address people, like all this kind of stuff. And I've certainly softened a lot over the last five years or so. Um, but I'm curious, like what, what was it that had you, I mean, in some ways, I guess you had to surrender, mm-hmm. right? Because you couldn't get your heart rate elevated. Like you couldn't really do a lot when, when you were recovering. But what, what was it that really got you to this baseline of just total nervous system relaxation and, and coming from this place where you, you feel so surrendered to life,
0: right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was for sure years. It was many years. I mean, that, that incident was about seven years ago now. And um, it's, it started with that time period where all I could do was really just like sit. And it was a very depressing time because all that stuff that I was ignoring, that I was just bulldozing over, just came flooding in all at one time. Um, But it was really when I started discovering what most people would call mindfulness, when I would actually be, I started becoming the observer of all these thoughts and stories that I had in my head and um, started facing them for the first time. And you know, when you're in that intense pattern, it's I said it before, it's like it's like a bulldozer to everything else, to everyone else and anything else that you have going inside of you. <laughs> yeah, it it's just bulldozes everything. Yeah. And so while you're like bulldozer like full gas pedal, you don't notice what you're running over. What's up, folks?
1: I hope you're enjoying this chat with Chris.
0: If you're into what Chris is putting
1: down, you'll definitely want to join us at the three-day men's retreat Chris and I are running with our two best friends, Nick and Alan, in California this October. Are you finally ready to wake up and start living your purpose? If so, then join us. October 6th to 9th at Yakumba Hot Springs. It's going to blow your fucking mind. This is an event we're putting on with two other men that I just mentioned I've interviewed in this podcast, Alan McGrath and Nick Warner, and together we have over 40 years of transformational work under our belt. I highly recommend listening to Alan and Nick's episodes on this podcast, which were number one and two respectively. It's going to be a weekend of deep embodiment practice, breath work, sunrise hikes, ice baths, shadow work, brotherhood, good nourishing, organic meals, time in nature, and just so much more. This is the type of retreat that literally changed the trajectory of my life. It was about six years ago in the California desert that I went to a men's retreat. And after that, everything in my life changed. If you wanna dial in your purpose, master your relationships, and just start living at your edge, you're not gonna wanna miss this. And if you are a listener of this podcast, you do get an exclusive discount of $500 by using the code Brotherhood at checkout. But this offer is only good until September 30th. So go to www.ascendretreat.com for more information and to register. And do it today because this is going to sell out. All right, let's get back to the episode with the legendary Chris Marhefka. You know,
0: when you're in that intense pattern, it's, I said it before, it's like, it's like a bulldozer to everything else, to everyone else and anything else that you have Any going emotion. inside of you. <laughs> yeah. It, it's just bulldozes everything. Yeah. And so while you're like bulldozer, like full gas pedal, you don't notice what you're running over. And in that time, in that seven months of recovery is when I started to notice all the things I was running over. Um, I, uh. I, I started using, I was doing breath work before that, but I started, I was doing the intense version of breath work. And during that time I started discovering like how to use breath to down regulate my nervous system. Mm-hmm. And then as I was recovering, I was doing a lot of walks. Like that was the only thing I could do for movement that wasn't felt like it was going to explode my brain again. So I was walking in nature a lot and I just found I would go on these long walks through the woods solo, sometimes with my dogs and just practicing breathing. And I would come back to my car and I would realize like I can't actually drive the way that I'm used to driving. So I would have to sit in my car to like almost like build myself back up to to do this like human thing of driving. Hmm. It's actually not really human. (laughs) (laughs) But I, I remember it so vividly and it was like this weird thing. It was like what is this state? And why do I feel like I have to go to back to this intense thing to go in the world? So you're saying like when you get back to a car, going back
1: to kind of like the aggressive intense way of driving and you, you were coming from this like non-aroused kind of like relaxed state, you know, Uh you're out in the the woods taking a walk and noticing the disparity between those worlds. Mm
0: -hmm. It was such a clear contrast. Yeah. And I would, I would get, would get in my car and I, w- I would drive and i just like felt like i was high but not high like 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 in an altered state i just felt like i was floating and peaceful and um and uh and i, I remember like I, I just started learning how to keep that for longer like i would get home and i would keep a little bit of that peace peaceful feeling with my partner longer than I would like snap back into that old pattern. And I would maybe get back into a little work, but I would keep this state and I just learned how to keep it longer and longer. Um, and I noticed that it was almost like I was proving to myself, uh, again, because I had to, I couldn't go back to that intense state, but I was proving to myself that it was possible to operate from this like chill, at peace, mm-hmm. and um, and again, it took years to, it, like right now, it feels like it's who I am, but back then it was it was a practice. It was always a constant practice, and I would go after I recovered. I actually had a period of time where I started to slip back into those old patterns, and um, I, did, you, did you go back to the gym and stuff like that after that? Did you try to get back in a CrossFit and all that? I I, I never. I would say I never competed after that. I never competed against myself, never competed against anyone else. I Mm -hmm. never, um, pushed myself to even like fifth gear, let alone sixth gear. I, it took me years to start lifting heavy again, um, out of fear, out of fear. yeah. 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 And, and I started, I started like really lightly training, which which honestly was what my body needed anyway. I was so tight. I had zero flexibility. I was constantly like under tension. And so I, I started stretching and started um, just learning more flow like movements. Yeah. And it's what my body needed. It's what most bodies probably yeah. need these yeah. days, man. Yeah.
1: Honestly, it's interesting. Just the amount of people that, and I love. I think weightlifting is great. I think it has a lot of good health benefits. I mean, the science is clearly there, mm-hmm. but there's a, a real lack of balance, mm-hmm. right? Like you see all these men that are kind of contorted and closed in and literally like closing in around their hearts, right? And just you go to we were at the Gold's Gym the other day and you can see just how imbalanced people's mm-hmm. bodies are, right? And you had me doing all those knees over toes <laughs> stretches and shit. And like, I'm not... I used to be quite a bit... I, I, I was really into yoga in my early 20s and mid-20s. And, and it was interesting because there is a... The, I really do believe that flexibility and mobility in your body actually does add mobility in your emotional body and in Mm -hmm. your heart and in your mind and everything like that. There's a rigidity that is reflected in your body and in your thoughts and vice versa. If you have a lot of rigid thoughts, I think your body actually Mm -hmm. contracts as well and builds rigidity around it. And it's the same thing. Guys that that come from an intense background for whatever reason, a lot of it is to protect I find. Mm -hmm like there's a protection aspect and we, and there is a, a piece around, I think building muscle and strength to protect like yes. almost as an armor. And I, I, I want to be as strong as fucking possible, but I have to be aware of the intentionality and where it's coming from. Mm-hmm. Right. And that, like I, I've noticed, I, I think it's honestly, I'm just correlating this now, but you know, the classic symptom of guys getting their hearts broken and then going to the gym and getting huge. Yeah. Right. Like there's this thing is like, no, I'm going to turn my life around. Like perhaps there is a correlation between doing that because they're, Hurt, and they want to build some armor around their hearts or armor in their body, quite literally, right? To so like that never happens again, or or that they don't have to be with the the depth of grief and, and kind of sorrow.
0: Yeah, I would say you're to something. <laughs> 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 yeah, I would say there's there's at least some correlation there. Um, yeah, sorry, I totally took us off a tangent. No, no, it's perfect. Deep, it I mean, that, in mind there. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's I was running that pattern. Yeah. I mean, I, I was. I was so afraid like looking back, I didn't have the words for it, but I was so afraid for people to like see who I really was and like to actually be authentically myself that I had these layers and layers that I was building on my body. And I was just building these shields and these walls around myself. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah. Until the point where I, I just say literally I couldn't keep holding it up anymore. Yeah. And, um, something had to break. Kind of uh uh-huh, oh Something yeah. had to break and it did. Um, and, uh, yeah. And then I, then I learned how to start, start softening. And, and for a while, like for a couple of years, about two years, I, I swung to the other side of the pendulum, which I think is fairly common when we're developing, we're always swinging, swinging back and forth. And I, for the first time in my life, um, like was so flowy and I was like intentionally trying to soften my body. I didn't lift any weights for a couple of years mm-hmm. and um, yeah, I, I reached, I reached the end of that a few years ago and, and, and started, I, I would say finding my center, but, uh, of how to integrate both. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I say now I, I had to swing to that other side. I remember, <laughs> I remember after that, um, after that brain injury and after I'd recovered and I was starting to get back into the old patterns, I had this blood work done in this guy. He was, he was from the Netherlands. He's like, He's like, I do this. I've been doing this for like ten years, and I do this with a lot of people. He's like, you have possibly one of the worst states of adrenal fatigue I've ever seen. Oh wow! And this was after I spent seven months recovering. Yeah, totally. And he's like, I'm not just saying for your age. I'm saying like ever. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, <laughs> yeah. And um, you know, there's a part of me that like would have worn that as a badge of honor, but I think after that whole experience, it it sunk in, like a little bit of wisdom was starting to sink in. I was like, Mm -hmm. okay, it's, yeah, I I can't go back. I can't go back. And that's when I started swinging to the other side.
1: Yeah, it's funny you talk about that kind of finding our, our balance between these energies of really, you know, I'd say more masculine, kind of assertive, you know, go out, eat what you kill, kind of really driven and kind of flowing with life and surrendering to the way things are. I have this picture of me that I showed a bunch of, friends recently and they call it like angelic evan and it's me so i was i was 23 i was working on the rigs up in alberta a lot of people have probably heard this or parts of this story obviously like pretty much it doesn't get aside from like going to war or something like that or being in the military it's not there's not much more of a masculine environment to be in than working on the rigs in in northern alberta uh super closed-hearted super intense very loud you know putting out physically every single day. And after I left that job, I went traveling and I just surrendered to life. It was flowing. And I ended up at this like yoga ashram in Colombia. It was a, a Krishna, Hare Krishna ashram. And I spent a month there doing yoga. And at that time I was eating vegetarian and I'd lost a bunch of weight. And I literally like, I glowed right. And like a, in a, in a beautiful way, but in an ultra, I looked very feminine, yeah. right? I had long flowing yeah. hair and I was wearing like white linen and shit. <laughs> and people look at that picture of me and they're like, this is you like, yeah. what the fuck? Right. And it was, it was, I had to go to that side of just being that way for a while and express that way. And like opening my body, I didn't lift any weights. So I was skin and bones, fasting a lot and all this kind of stuff. Uh, just to try to you know to incorporate that energetic mm-hmm. so i could eventually come back to balance and then when i came back to canada i really felt like oh i need to i need to build some of this masculine edge again and that's mm-hmm. actually what got me into men's work and i've still been you know trying to find that balance ever since but it, i think it's interesting we do have these phases and we do have to swing mm-hmm. to these poles uh in order to find our balance we have to feel what it's like to be on one extreme and the other you know what i mean yeah, to kind of absolutely. find our way yeah So I'm curious after, you know, you have this kind of seven, eight months where you're in this healing crisis, essentially, Mm -hmm. right. Starting to drop in, starting to slow down the nervous system. How did you get to where you are today from that? Like, what did you start to explore? Because I know now you've studied a bunch of modalities. You worked in the wellness industry. You started a business there, partnered in a business. You coach now
0: everything that you do today, Mm -hmm. right? What, what happened after that? Yeah. Um, I I had been coaching for many years. I, I say I started coaching in two thousand nine. Okay. Um, it was fitness coaching back then. Got it. Yeah. But what I realized now is I thought I was making this big life change, but really all I was doing was applying a lifetime of learning to just a slightly different content, and and also deeper. Um, but. I didn't know how I I was at this point where this injury happened, I'd recovered and I like, didn't know how to go back to this old way of living. And it was clear I needed to make a change. And, you know, I, I didn't have a good idea of how to do that. Um, Again, going back to the extreme, like I didn't know how to do it um, gradually, I guess. And so I in a way ejected from my old life. Mm-hmm. Like I, I look back with um, I've now made peace with it, but I, I had some guilt about the way that I just I just like checked out. I mean I, I bought an RV and I left my businesses and I had teams running them, but like I literally just ejected mm-hmm. um, because I didn't know what else to do. Yeah. Like I was at, I was literally I felt I was at the edge of my cliff. And I just like couldn't take another step forward in that direction. And so I just, I just went the other way. And, um, so I I traveled the country in an RV and did some deep emotional healing work. Um, along the way I, um, I started getting into a lot more energetic modalities and somatic modalities and, um, learned that, um, when I was in that space, I was like, completely, I don't even know how to say it. Like I was at home and I was so comfortable there. And I was just very naturally good at being in that space. I started, um, helping out at retreats, Mm -hmm. just serving. And, um, I was just serving food at first. And I, when I wasn't serving, I would go into the, to the, to the healing space and
1: How did you come across like helping out at retreats or what modalities were you working with?
0: Yeah. 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 So, um, actually, yeah, I'll I'll back up. Um, right before the, the, the ejection happened, I I was at a a wellness conference It paleo FX here in Austin, Texas. And there was this, um, this event the day before for health entrepreneurs and we got, I got invited and um, I was there and I, I met a guy who en- ends up being like a really good close friend of mine now, but, uh, his name is Mike Bledsoe. Mm-hmm. And, um, I remember being at this conference and everyone is just like talking business and strategy and like the stuff I'm used to. Yeah, And I'm like, yeah, getting in my old patterns, like loving it. Like, yeah, business scaling. And like, and then we're on a break and he's outside shirtless getting sunshine, just has this completely different energy about him. Like this, I don't give a fuck energy. Can we say fuck on the show? Of course. Okay, cool. And, um, yeah, I just briefly talked to him for a little bit. And uh, at first it triggered me. I I tell him that many times after. But it triggered me because I was trying to hold up this facade of who I was. Yeah. And. um, uh, Damn sirens. I know. know. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I was, uh, I was trying to hold up this facade of who I was, so it triggered me, but we exchanged numbers and he's like, Hey, do this program. And, um, it was this somatic healing program that got into inner child work and, um, really was teaching people how to get in touch with their emotions. And, and my, my wife at the time did it first online and then I did it online in the next, next one. And then, um, we got invited to come help out at a retreat, just volunteer. Mm-hmm. And, uh, at the time it didn't make any logical sense. Like I was running two teams. I had, I think probably over 30 employees at the time. And we were scaling this business. And I was just like, Hey guys, I'm going to go to this retreat for a week and I'm not going to be on my phone. It was like the first time I've ever done this. I'm just like, <laughs> Hey, I'm going to go do this thing. Yeah. And it's literally me volunteering in a kitchen. Mm-hmm. And ironically, I, I ha- I have this whole team of, Chefs back home, and like that, I hired to like make food at this car. right. And you're going, so to I'm going in to volunteer at a kitchen, in the yeah, kitchen yeah, for yeah. this thing. It was ironic, it was um, cosmic jokes, like cosmic that, jokes. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I absolutely loved it, and then I got invited back, and then and then about the third time, um, they asked me to my and my future business partner asked me to start uh, mentoring with them mm-hmm. or facilitating, mm-hmm. and um started doing that i started studying a lot more and i honestly i was ready and just all these different modalities and these different teachers started coming into my field and like welcoming me in like I, i i'm so grateful for so many people like during that time i probably learned from a half a dozen like masters in their field that had been doing it for like 40 50 years right and i just like met them in person i got to work with them i got to um spend months with each one of them, just like learning these modalities. And, um, and then I, I started this really deep facilitating and, and actually I brought, um, I brought when, when I started discovering like my own unique gifts, I brought such a special magic to that company. And, um, that magic was like a very deep, it it was it was that sense that I imagine you experience for me now this like just peace and chill and and acceptance of other people. Um, Do you think that was already
1: latent in you, like yes. a part of you, maybe when you were younger, even or something like that, or were you always kind of driven? And
0: I I remember when I was much younger, I spent a lot of time with myself and in yeah. the woods. And I remember just like being at peace, watching ants yeah, or just like watching a blade of grass. Like Mm -hmm. when I was like young, like like four or five, six, whatever it's. Yeah.
1: You know, I just, it makes me think a few things there is so often people say, well, this is just the way I am, you know, and Mm -hmm. like, I'm just a type A or I'm just this really, I'm just an introvert. Are you sure? (laughs) (laughs) You know, is this, is this, what is your real way of being? Because I think rather than I like to hold the context of rather than shifting, you know, like, oh, yeah, I grew into this really relaxed person. It's like, well, did you or did you kind of deconstruct some programming that you learned along the way because you felt like you had to be that way to operate in the world? Mm -hmm. right and it's more of like an unraveling than uh than a. I I really want to change this about myself it's like well i think it's what it is is dissolving some of the layers and the bullshit that you've been doing that you think is going to get you the results that you want in life Mm -hmm. because i think naturally most people of course people there's a spectrum of they are but most people are kind of relaxed you know what i mean and and i think if you look at if you look at A lot of other cultures, especially cultures that don't have a lot or live closer to the land, more primitive. I think of like the Hadza and like different people in Africa and stuff like that. And I've never been there, but I I, I watch the way documentaries and the way they interact and how the pace of life is so slow. There's not really a lot of type A people Mm -hmm. that emerge in those cultures. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's just, it just made me think, you know, I think it's powerful for people to reflect on. Their way of being when they came into this world, when they were very young, Mm -hmm. before they were programmed in all the ways that they're supposed to be. And I'm talking like pre-school, even pre-education where you kind of get squeezed into that way of performing and, and, and setting the bar and, you know, depending on the, the kind of social influences you had around you, um, that. That's probably like your truest essence. I do a lot of work with my clients. It's discovering what our essence is, right? And so I go and I have them ask ten people, you know, what shows up when I do, right? Like what shows up when I walk into a room? Not like, what do I do? What do I do? you know what I mean? But what shows up? People people get reflections from ten people and it gives you a pretty good idea of who you are. Because we actually aren't that self aware. I'm just a fucking driven type of guy. It's like, well, Every time you show up in a room, everybody says that you bring love, and you're like, no, 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 like I don't bring love. Well, everybody else sees it in the world, <laughs> but you, right? And so then our yeah. whole life is trying to balance these polarities of over expressing or under expressing to meet, to kind of cover our wounds and meet our wounds, like you know. Um, but at, at the core of it, there's a way of being that we can't not be, mm-hmm. right? And and that is our gift, like mm-hmm. you said, you brought a really special mm-hmm. gift into this business, and I imagine. There was always a part of you that was super wide and accepting mm-hmm. and loving mm-hmm. and and I would call like a haven or a sanctuary yeah. for people to be calm and and to be themselves and you layered on all this other stuff mm-hmm. on top of that for whatever reasons we all have good reasons for doing that would you
0: say that's pretty accurate 100% and it was it was even there was evidence of it even during the intense periods because I I I built these beautiful communities. I built this amazing gym community and just so many amazing, loving people coming in. And it was all like, I mean, there was a, a lot that, I that was around me that made it that way. But honestly, like I was the magnetic flag in the ground and, and I, man, everyone saw it in me. Everyone, like you said, is like, had I had that reflection, um, it would have, it would have broken my brain. Um, cause I don't know, I mean, I know why, but I didn't, I wanted to be seen as, as like this intense and successful and like powerful person, mm-hmm. but inside I was just like a caring person. And I just, I wanted to be kind and I wanted to serve people and I wanted to do good by people. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's obvious why these things happen. I mean, our, our, our culture, our Western culture, the United States culture is, it just values a different thing but ultimately i believe that all of our natural states no matter who we are we all have our unique flavors and gifts but every single human being's natural state is peace in the mind and love in the heart mm. you go deep enough that's what everyone is and the further we get away from that the further further we get blind to that truth
1: and it's certainly what everyone's yearning for yeah too. that's the yeah. funny thing too is like we, we 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 come into the world perfect and whole essentially full of love and open-minded and curious and then we get calcified by life and society and culture And then we spend our whole lives trying to like buy it back or work (laughs) Uh for it. Like when I make enough money, then I'll be free and I'll be able to finally be at peace. Right. I just need this much in the bank account or like when I find, you know, the perfect woman or the perfect man or perfect whoever, then my heart will be open and I can love the way I want to love and be loved the way I want to love and receive and give love exactly how I want. And then I'll be like finally at peace. Like, no, bro, that's that's already available. Mm -hmm. Right. Which is a lot of this this peeling away. Um so sorry I, you know I, t- I took us off a little tangent there too but so what happened so you're training with these people i guess another point i wanted to speak to is just you obviously came into the right group and had a lot of people that taught you and a lot of, of mentors mm-hmm. and people that mm-hmm. really you know saw you and took you on and wanted to develop your leadership and develop mm-hmm. who you are and i think to i work with a lot of men that are trying to find a deeper purpose or trying to find Like, how do you do what you do, Evan? Like, how did you get into coaching? How did you get to to be leading men and to doing all these things? And for me, it's always been about putting myself in the right rooms with Mm -hmm. the people that are doing the things that I want to do. Or sometimes I don't even know they're doing the things I want to do. But putting myself in the spaces where I'm accessible and they're accessible and there's a possibility of my life transforming. Because really, it could be one or two people who... You get in the right space and kind of take take you on and see that see your value sometimes before you do like see your gifts before you do and then really trusting that process mm-hmm. right and I think that's such an important thing because it sounds like those retreats little did you know you went to do this healing thing you volunteered a few times and then it transformed into
0: yeah next career yeah, yeah your next career I would say that the 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 biggest change for me that was the difference between me seeing and accepting and receiving all those teachers and before, cause they were probably all around me. I just couldn't see it or accept it was the energy of curiosity and humility. Mm-hmm. Like before that point, like up until that 30 year time, I like felt like every person I was talking to every room I was in, I wanted to be seen as like the smartest person. Like I have it all together. Like I have all the answers. So I wasn't open to hearing anywhere else, yeah. anyone else or learning from everyone else. But but then I started to really open and have humility really because life crushed me. Mm -hmm. I just, I felt like I just got smashed by life. And, um, and so I almost had a little humility forced on me, but I started to embrace just being curious and like learning, like coming with this energy of just teach me, like, I don't know anything, teach me. And, um, when I, Carried that, like so many people showed up, they just wanted to share the gifts to someone that wanted to receive them and, yeah. and carry them. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'm very grateful for that.
1: Yeah, so then you did all this training, and you 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 eventually got involved in the business is that yeah. yeah,
0: yeah, very very quickly. I mean, it actually started from a business perspective. I mean, <laughs> at the time it was very unorganized, and uh, even just when I was volunteering, I was helping to organize the business and put structures in place, and um, simply because i i loved what the work that was happening and i just wanted to help more people and um i saw the skills that i had built in business as a way to help and just to reach more people and serve more people um and also get some burden off of the the two owners which um were were pretty maxed out and just the way they were doing business was just they were at the ceiling so I was like, okay, so we make it more efficient. This so how we add systems and bring people in that can help the right way. So it started that way, uh, quickly. They're like, all right, we need you to be the CEO. So I took that on. And, 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 and then, um, very short, shortly after that, it was, it was clear that one of the partners wanted to kind of, uh, exit out and do a different thing. And, and I, I pretty much came in as half his half ownership and, um, and then we operated that way for a couple of years, um, and uh, it, was a, it was a great time. It was a beautiful time. I, um, I really loved the work we were doing. It was... Uh, what was
1: it like specifically? What kind of transformations did you see in people? Yeah,
0: it was um, specifically, it was inner child healing work. Mm-hmm. And by that, I mean, we spent a lot of time facilitating people into past memories, past experiences, um, and call it past traumas or developmental learnings that were impacting their adult life today. So basically the whole framework was like who you are today is not actually who you are. Like we were just talking about, it's just what you learned to be. Mm -hmm. And so we were in the business of getting back to the moment in time where that fracture happened, where you started to be this person and to close the loop on it. Um, and at the time when I came on, it was, it was a little bit more cognitive of a process. It was a little more mental. And, and I brought in a lot of the energetics and the somatics. that was like the sensation based stuff. Mm -hmm. And, um, so it became this like really good balance of clearing the mental stories of like how you define yourself with also the emotional, um, visceral experience. Cause anytime something happens in our life, um, like an emotional response or a trigger or, or a trauma is what a lot of people refer to it. Uh, we have this visceral feeling in the body and if we don't immediately, uh, release it, then it gets stuck there. It's literally, it's, it's stuck, congealed, condensed, calcified energy in the body. Um, and, and we see this in every other mammal in the wild, as soon as they get out of a fight or flight situation, they shake and they tremble. And what they're doing is they're just releasing that energy that, um, that they don't need. Uh, I just, they needed it for that moment to escape a moment in time that was dangerous. And unfortunately we, we live now in a society where most moments for most people are like fight or flight moments. Yeah. It's really, it, when I look at it that way, it's really scary and it's unbelievable that people are doing as okay as they are because of how stressful life is. And we're designed to live most of our life in the parasympathetic and only go to the sympathetic, the, the, the fight or flight, mm-hmm. like for moments mm-hmm. and then go back. But most people are doing the exact opposite. And the time that we have built in our biology to to recover is sleep, but most people aren't getting good sleep because of their habits during the day and their sleep Lights hygiene. And, and, and yeah. And, and, and all we could go into so many things there Too over caffeinated. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> know about that. And so, um, most people are living overstressed. And, um, so, so really the foundation of it was just getting back to those roots, um, healing them at the roots, changing the pattern. And, um, the, The results that people would have coming out of that were just like a lightness and a freedom in their bodies, not necessarily in the external world, but just Mm -hmm. in their bodies A feeling a sense of one of the most common is just like a sense of accepting and loving oneself. Right. Um, Because you get in touch with, again, like you get back to that truth of who you are, which is peace and love. And once you touch that, it's like the external stuff, like is kind of bullshit. Like it doesn't affect Mm -hmm. you as much. Yeah. The challenge then becomes when you come out of this beautiful healing retreat and you're working with us for a week and you're doing these deep programs, then you go back to your life.
1: How do you hold it?
0: When you go back, nothing's actually changed out there. And so, um, actually one of the things that I admittedly didn't think we did enough of was what do we do after that
1: kind of an integration, an integration,
0: And that's what actually I I build my coaching around today is like holding both of those. How do people integrate an experience? Like
1: for, you know, some people listening to this, certainly I've had the experience. You have these really transformational states, Mm -hmm. right? You you reach these peak states. You have these, Mm -hmm. you do a breathwork session Mm -hmm. or you go on some sort of transformational experience or retreat, or maybe you drink ayahuasca and then you get blasted open, mm-hmm. then you have to go home, mm-hmm. right? then you have to hang up the phone, the mm-hmm. proverbial phone and go back into reality. What,
0: what did you guide people through? What, mm-hmm. What do they do with that? Yeah. The, the first thing I always ask people, whether we get done with a session or they go through this transformational experience or ceremony is what was the most impactful thing you're taking away from that? Most of the time, if people check in, the first thing they'll say is their truth. It's like, I love myself now or like I'm going to be OK or life isn't, doesn't have to be stressful or like whatever the language is. But um, so they'll share the most important thing they learned. We get all these downloads and all these course, things, but like 90 yeah. percent of it is just kind of like our brain and our imagination going wild and firing on all cylinders. But what's the, like, the deepest thing that you got from it? That's the question I always ask myself and other people. What's the lesson like? What is the impact from doing this? And most of the time, there's something that's really true that revolves around living with more love, living with more peace, um, or loving others, loving ourselves, and, and then the second question is is a process I take people through of how to get to I call it sacred action, how to get to the simplest minimum effective dose of doing that in your life, right. and. And I don't allow people off the hook until it's something that we can do in under a minute. Because the integration that I take people through is um, doing that one sacred action every single day, at least one times a day. So this is less than a minute, something yeah. everyone can do. In the fitness business, I learned that like excuse is always time. And so I learned how to break that down in that business and, and now I use it today. I'm like, okay, everyone has a minute. Like you do. in
1: um, real big trouble if you don't have one minute exactly. Of time.
0: <laughs> and so so again, I, I talk about balancing the integration of the masculine and feminine. The sacred action is the masculine. So it's like you're consciously doing this one thing and you'll you'll write it everywhere. You'll you'll write it everything, uh, wherever you need it. Post-it notes and on your computer. And just do the thing. And then when you do it, there's an affirmation that comes with it. And the affirmation is your most impactful thing that you got from that experience or that session. So it's like, I love myself or I'm free or whatever the thing is. Mm -hmm. Affirmations come in all different flavors, but that's the feminine. And so when you do the thing and then you say the affirmation, you're literally rewriting your nervous system. And it's a self-reciprocating cycle because when you... When you feel it and you say it and you really feel it in your body, you become the person that is that thing.
1: Yeah, it's a it's it builds the confidence that you're not just because affirmations alone can kind of be yep. empty. Like I'm rich I'm, rich, I'm rich, or whatever it is, or like I'm you know I'm full of love, but you're full of self hatred until you have the somatic experience yep. installed in your nervous system, and then
0: you can kind of speak to it as truth. And act it in your life. Yeah. That's the other side as well is, is when you, when you have the affirmation is just mental until you bring it down into the body, that's the somatic experience of it. And then you act it out in your life and you become the person who's feeling the thing, who's doing the thing, who's now feeling more of it and doing more of it. And so it's this snowball effect. And, um, what we do over time is we just stack those, um,
1: Small wins. Small wins. And
0: people are so surprised. I do this in my one-on-one coaching. And they like... (laughs) I get so much skepticism when I take people through this process at first because we're getting down to... Like, I'll give one. I just We just worked through with a guy last week. It was... He's got to do 10 push-ups a day. Like, the simplest thing. Mm -hmm. But this is a man who's overworked. He's not valuing his body and his health. And it's carrying over to every aspect of his life. But what he notices is when he makes a conscious decision to do something positive for his life. He feels stronger. He has more energy. And then he says the affirmation. And then oftentimes what it leads into is like, oh, I'm now going to do, I'm going to do 10 minute workout here at home. I have 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. So all I'm looking for is when I'm not with someone, I'm just looking for a spark to get them back to that energy of when we were working together. And a spark can't be, you, you've made a lot of fires. Yeah. A spark isn't a roaring fire. No, That's like the equivalent of saying, I want to start working out, but I have to work out 60 minutes every day. That's like getting a roaring fire going, which you know is not easy. Not easy at all. But we can get a spark going if we just have a little bit of flint. Yep. And all I'm looking for is the spark. And on some days, and then and then I add a lot of like acceptance and forgiveness because they'll be like, oh, that wasn't enough. They'll be like, that's all you need to do. Trust me. And some days that's all he does. And then some days it it, it it cascades into 10 minutes and it cascades into an hour. And then some days it's one minute and that's yeah. okay.
1: Yeah. Part of it's like making these agreements with yourself, you know, just lacing up your shoes to go on a run yep. or saying, I'm going to go to the gym for five minutes, like do one thing. It's like, mm-hmm. you, you know, once you get there, you're, you're going to spend a few more minutes than five. Um, but these small wins so, so often, I think, especially with men, but I think this is universal: is we make these massive commitments. I'm going to change everything, mm-hmm. right? I'm going to wake up at 5:30 every day now, and I'm going to do a half hour meditation, and I'm going to go for the gym for an hour, and I'm going to do, you know, all this. We try to stack all this mm-hmm. stuff, and we know we're going to we sabotage the shit yeah. out of ourselves, and yet it gives us another reason to mm-hmm. to beat ourselves up, right, and to actually to to beat ourselves down and be like, see, I knew I couldn't fucking commit to any of these things. But then on the, on the other side to what you're speaking, we're like, what, what would 10 fucking pushups exactly. do every day? That's mm-hmm. not going to do anything. I need to do 150 mm-hmm. in one set. Like yeah. it's, we, we create these crazy barriers to entry and then beat the shit of ourselves for not committing to the thing that we said we were going to do, which just perpetuates the shame and the, the lack of self-worth and keeps us stuck where all it takes is one small little shift of doing something every day. And I'm guilty as this is everyone else. Like I'm always like, okay, then it's the first of the month, a new month. I'm going to start all these things. and if, I'm, I'm a little bit wiser now. And of course I know that I'm bullshitting myself mm-hmm. half the time, but I think people underestimate what the value of compound interest mm-hmm. and, and what it has right on us, or even just even, being here having access to the ice bath there's mm-hmm. so many mornings uh, i don't want to get in this fucking mm-hmm. thing but when i do it and i'll do it for like two three minutes yeah. that's all it is it's and not I about feel the action so much better yes. like it makes such a huge impact on the rest yeah. of my day it's so uh obvious mm-hmm. i get out of it immediately i'm like oh that was so worth it yeah but the inertia mm-hmm. right just just getting into it any and getting into anything that we're not habituated to doing especially if it's uncomfortable, like exercise or sitting in silence is often very uncomfortable for people. But when I get into the ice bath and I've set the bar so low for myself now, having like a extensive meditation background and kind of coming out in Vipassana with this expectation to meditate two hours a day. Yeah. And then I would judge the fuck out of myself if I only meditated 10 minutes. Right. But now I meditate 10 minutes. I'm like, awesome. feel great. I got I fucking 10 minutes yeah. in that. That's fucking great. And just yeah. why, why are you know we're so hard on ourselves Mm -hmm. about how it has to be which just stops us from taking any action and then nothing changes in our lives and then we're in the same place and almost worse because we can't meet the expectations and then we you know we go to youtube or social media and they're like this is the morning routine you need and all this kind of shit which just perpetuates like well that person can do it why can't i i think if you actually looked at these people's lives you'd be wildly surprised that a lot of people aren't living into the commitments that they make every day but that whole thing of giving people, setting setting yourself up and setting your clients up for small wins, right? And just allowing yourself some grace and some compassion for yourself because making changes is really hard. Mm-hmm. Even small ones, even a minute a day. It's still hard. Mm-hmm. There's still entropy. There's still all the forces we're working against in our life that want us to stay the same. Mm-hmm. That's the thing. We want to stay the same. Even when we don't,
0: we do. It's built into our biology. It's yeah, homeostasis. Yeah. It's like what we're always trying to do. Yeah. And so it takes consciousness, conscious effort to do, to make that change. And mm-hmm. so conscious effort, like we're saying, doesn't have to be this massive thing. It can be one minute. It can be 10 minutes. It can be a breath. It can know? be a breath. <laughs> yeah. And that's just what ultimately comes breath, down breath, to. Right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Take a breath. Yeah. 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 Ultimately, it comes down to just that. And that actually, this is like my practice now is how many moments can I just come back to Mm -hmm. just a deep exhale and be here and the more moments I do that I can see a measurable effect in everything in my life from the depth and beauty and love in my relationships to success in my business and fulfillment in life and my health and it's just more conscious choosing, more conscious directing, um, but it starts with these simple things. For Absolutely. sure, yeah. So tell me a little bit
1: about you've been writing a book,
0: mm-hmm. kind of shifting gears, but mm-hmm. you've been working on this
1: book. You were down in Mexico mostly, You're writing, Mezinte, yeah, when I was writing, right? Yeah, right. You were working on it pretty hard there. Tell me a little bit about what that's about and, mm-hmm. and the process of of creating that and how that's been going.
0: Uh, one word is humbling yeah more humility I, yeah more <laughs> humility honestly i um i went in with a lot of clarity that i, I wanted to i felt called to it's just um the first three months i didn't really know what it was going to be i just sat down and wrote i i literally used my own medicine i was like i'm just gonna open up the laptop at the same desk every day and then i started doing that and i was like okay this is working now i'm gonna bump to 15 minutes 15 minutes of staring at the screen sometimes and smashing the keyboard and then deleting it and smashing the keyboard. And then eventually like I I would get into flows where an hour would go by five hours some days and I just had written nonstop. And so, um, I just did it almost every day that I was down there and I was at least on for 15 minutes and then overly confident. I was like, I'm almost done. And then I went to like, put it together into a book and a cohesive idea. And it was, uh, I, I had just shared, um, again, there was no structure. Mm-hmm. So there was a lot of chaos that came out. Absolutely. Absolutely. As there
1: is without structure. Yeah,
0: exactly. And so, um, I, I, realized as I, as I spoke to some people that had done it before, I kind of went a little backwards, yep. which was okay. I did what I needed to do. And, um, I, I, I've, I've been organizing it and now filling in the blanks, taking some pieces out that feel like it's maybe another book in the future or just. Um, just not for this one and I'm I'm getting in the final stages of finishing it getting to the editor and the intention is to get it out before the baby comes
1: right which we can touch on too <laughs> but this this book is it's just a chronicling your journey kind of yeah. the lessons learned along the way
0: Yeah you know I actually I, I started out it's it's funny I, I see my journey in the writing of the book I started out um, writing the book as like, a teacher on a pedestal like i was mm-hmm. writing it almost like a textbook mm-hmm. and part of me was like i wanted to like seen as this wise person all these people are going to read it i wanted to know what i'm talking about and and that's when i got to the end end of this phase and i was like this is going to be boring as shit no one's going to read this this book's going to suck and it's dry <laughs> not because of the content yeah. but you know like we learned from stories yeah and so now the phase that I'm in is is getting vulnerable and writing my story of like how I learned these lessons and like right. why it was important to me and like how I got through it. Like these real stories, there's so much more depth to this short conversation we're having. And and that's what I'm writing in it is I'm running my whole chronicle of my story, but through the lens of a simple um, three-step modality to change, which is... So we've started talking about it in here, but it's just three simple steps to make lasting changes in your life. Um, what are those three steps if you were to just break them down? Yeah, uh, a clarity system, mm-hmm. an execution system, and an integration system. Mm. Um, the clarity system is kind of like what we were talking about with the, the felt sense. It's just getting a lot of the stuff out of the way that we have layers we put on top, getting to the root. And really, it's just... What is my priority in life? What is my priority in this season? What is my priority in this moment? And just getting really clear on like how I should be using my energy. That's it. And a, a clarity system, it's, it's, um, the way I talk about in the book, it's, it's a, it's a process of peeling away the layers. So I use and I, I teach some practices in the book where it's using breath and just some simple awareness, um, to just get a layer deeper from where you're currently at. How do you think people that, how can people distinguish
1: authentic clarity versus doing the things that they've always been told to or known to do and calling that clear? Like, you know what I mean? You could get really clear on scaling your gym business Mm -hmm. or becoming number one in CrossFit in the world. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's not actually a thing that's serving you deepest. You're kind of just running the same program that might've been, you may have inherited Mm -hmm. from somebody, kind of like I was talking last night about. The weird traits that i've inherited in my father that's starting to show up mm-hmm. in my own fatherhood right and i just think that that's the way it is and then i realize oh this is not this isn't the way that i perceive the world this is something that i was programmed into
0: because of the way that i grew up mm-hmm. um the first thing i would say is that it's all clarity it's just where's that clarity coming from mm-hmm. so the that that is just clarity um we're getting clear on our patterns like we're just getting clear on what we should do. And a lot of it's a mental construct that we just create spin in our mind. But to get to deeper levels of clarity, which is just another version of clarity, is just stillness multiplied by time. So the more still you can get over the longer amounts of time, the clarity will come. And that time can be in one sitting or, or over a year. Mm. Uh, if you just sit in stillness for a few minutes a day you're going to get deeper clarity than you had if you hadn't done that. Yeah. Again, I, I'm usually shooting for like immediate, um, I don't want to say immediate relief, but like immediate, um, result. And so I'm not going to tell someone they need to go sit out in the woods and do a four day vision fast. If they're like, just like me working hundred hours a week and just, no, it's going to start with just pausing for five minutes. Mm-hmm just taking a few deep breaths and then you'll have a little bit more clarity and Mm -hmm. you just do that the next day and you do that the next day. And so the, (laughs) the, the lie that I believed for so long that somewhere in my journey, I remember the moment, but in my journey, I realized was a lie was that we're, we're always seeking for the perfect final clarity, but it doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. And so the The best we can do is just get a little bit more clarity now than we had the moment before. And if we're doing that, we're moving towards clarity. But if we're trying to seek this ultimate truth of clarity, we're going to get stuck and we're going to spin because it doesn't exist. You can't see the type of person you're going to be when you're 80 years old. It's impossible. And the more we try to force that, the more we limit ourselves. And so just try to see what the next step is. It's like when you're, when you're hiking, hiking a trail, it's like, just, just focus on the next step and not rolling your ankle and not getting off course and not like, just, just, just look right in front and you don't have to worry about the mountain. That's five miles in the distance that you're hiking. Like, you know, you're going to get there. You're following the trail, like just focus on the step. And that's how I think about clarity. Um, and a lot of that for me just felt so much lighter too. I let go of this idea that I had to know what. 10 years was going to be and 50 years was going to be from now. And, um, I think it's good to vision, but then relax the vision. And you set goals? I do. Um, I set goals relative to actions that I can control, not to outcomes. So like, for instance, in writing the book, my goal was to uh, to sit down for 15 minutes a day. And at the end of this three month, I wanted 40,000 words written. Yeah. So the goal is like I can systems kind of. Yeah. Systems. Yeah. Systems. yeah that, that's it. Yeah. It's showing but up but I don't judge outcomes. Yeah. Um, I don't, I don't set goals on the outcomes I used to. Um, but what it led me to do was a lot of forcing my way just to get to this outcome. Yep. Because three months ago or a year ago, I said that was the outcome I wanted. So I have, have to, to stick to it. it. Yeah.
1: yeah. And yeah, i I've it's relaxed inter- it. It's interesting too, because I think there is power in writing out what you want to create and mm-hmm. setting the intention mm-hmm. and then surrendering to the process. Oftentimes, yeah. mm-hmm. like for me, it was the same thing. I've been a little bit more loose lately, but I just ass in chair for an hour every morning, mm-hmm. timer on same soundtrack on same chair, same mm-hmm. desk, and just write. And I would just do free flow writing. And I did that for like years. Mm-hmm. And I just uh, 99% of that writing will never see the light of day. Some of it's gibberish, but it, it built the chops on how to write mm-hmm. just effectively. Right. And I had no goal with it, but I had the intention that I want to be a writer. And the way that I'd be a better writer is I spend time writing. Mm-hmm. I don't know what's going to come of the writing. I don't, I'm not saying I have to have a published book in a year or I have to write this you know, whatever diatribe on masculinity or whatever, all these types of things. You know, I just was like, okay, I'm going to put my ass in the chair and write. And then I started sharing some of that writing. And then some of the writing got traction. So I was more inspired to write, but I was always just from the place of, this is just what I do. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like shifting my identity mm-hmm. rather than trying to set these arbitrary goals because I was setting goals. I was working with a coach last year and I set a goal to release a, a, a men's program, six month men's program, couple retreats. And I just hammered through it mm-hmm. to get to the deadline that I agreed to doing and I, my heart wasn't in it yep. and it totally flopped. It was yep. like a total fail launch. And I, I look back on that. I was like, of course it was a failed launch. So I fucking didn't even promote it because my heart was not in it. Yeah. I just did it because I said I would do it. And I chose the arbitrary timelines and arbitrary cost. And not that I didn't put any work into it. I made a really, I made it really beautiful. and I put some thought into it, but it wasn't where I was at. I was just trying to jam things into these goals. And so many men, especially I'm sure you've experienced this. They come to, they want coaching because they want to upgrade their life and they want to set all these goals of things that they want to accomplish. This happens over and over and over again with me, with me and my clients. And then we get into the coaching relationship and we, I really pick apart their goals. Like, mm-hmm. okay, well, what, what would be different if you got that? They're like, well, then I would be this, that, and the other, and then I would finally be free and I could take <laughs> vacation. And I was like, well, why can't you do that now? Yeah. They're like, and they don't really have an answer, right? They're, they're So it's, the goal is fucking arbitrary, mm-hmm. right? The goal doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. They want to shift their way of being. And, and a lot of people get caught in the game and it sounds like you had this before. It's I will be a different person if I accomplish this. No, no. that never works. Mm-mm. You won't be a different. The things that you accomplish won't transform you fundamentally. Mm-hmm. They will transform your ego. They'll yeah. transform, you know, how people view you, mm-hmm. but how you feel about yourself and relate to your life. Not much shifts at that level.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and I want to I want to speak into something because um, both of us are speaking from a similar lens, and and that this is like the lens of like a lot of men, right? It's it's very linear, very goal and outcome oriented, very hard on ourselves if we don't hit those things. Um, I will say that f- for what we're talking about relaxing that is really good for that lens. And for that type of person, there is a mirror to that on the other side of the spectrum that actually needs to be a little harder on themselves. Mm -hmm. And I say that very lovingly there's, and it could be men could be women, but it's just, they need to put their head down a little bit more. There's a, there's someone, there's some people that there's half the population that falls under that category that needs to be a little bit more disciplined and more structured. And so um, I just wanted to say that because we've been speaking more towards the lens that we both grew up and resonated with. And also like the flip side of that is the opposite too. I've had clients that I,
1: they lay a beautiful path out in front of them that I believe will really get them results. They believe it will get results and they do nothing Yeah, with it. And then they just stay in the same loop over and over and over again. And I can find myself in that position sometimes too. Just a lot of resistance to doing what I know needs to be done Mm -hmm. in order for me to feel better, more accomplished, for me to be at more peace with myself. Uh, But there's always nuance to Mm -hmm. these things. And of course, I'm always going to have a bit of a bias towards the way that I operate in the world. And I do believe no matter what end of the spectrum you're on, there is a way to move towards that which you want to accomplish from a centered and relaxed place. Yes. Right. And so the the danger is, is if if we treat it all as challenge, and I like a good kick in the ass as anyone else, but oftentimes what I found with some of these clients is that they can't move towards their goals because they have so much emotional baggage mm-hmm. and so much other shit that they need to deal with mm-hmm. that they're just stuck in this in this cycle where the, no matter how compelling a vision is for them, mm-hmm. they just can't take action on it because they literally have something just kind of holding them back. It's like they're hooked into the ground and they're it's trying like to get, yeah, like they're it, trying yeah. to get their feet on the ground and then they've just kind of relegated their life to be like, okay, I have this nine meter circumference <laughs> that I can move in uh-huh. and why even try, even though there's all these beautiful mm-hmm. things over there. And, and just, I I think it on the other end of the spectrum, people that are really high achieving, are oftentimes suppressing working and feeling a lot of the stuff that they need to. And then sometimes people are just so caught in the feelings of it that they can't take action on the things they need Mm -hmm. to. So on both ends of the spectrum, for me personally, it always comes down to dealing with our beingness and how we relate to ourselves and our emotions and how we source our life it just has kind of two permutations where either we just suppress it and work really hard and like, see, I am, I'm worth something or we're like, see, I'm worthless and I can never do anything. But the source of it is oftentimes the same thing, which is just, especially, you know, I primarily work with men, but it's true for all human beings is just the, the dealing with just the traumas and the grief and the, and the, All the shit. It's like gunk that we kind of have to clear out of this system in order to actually, to your point, touch on that clarity. Then actually have the wherewithal, the strength, the confidence, the energy, because that stuff is energy depleting. I don't think people realize your emotional weight depletes the fuck out of your energy, right? Actually having the clarity and then the ability to execute, you know, and then integrate, I think, all of that. And I imagine you agree, it always comes down to like that deep kind of childhood and emotional work and, mm-hmm. and stuff that all the program deprogramming and reprogramming and everything that's led us to our own fucked up beingness mm-hmm. in the world.
0: Yeah. And, and, and that's why, that's why I built it into these three succinct, succinct phases or, or these three systems because, that, that clarity system, that phase one, is going to be really hard for like guys like you and I who are used to just bulldozing over that and mm-hmm. setting the, the execution. Mm-hmm. And then on the flip side, phase two, the execution is going to be really hard for people that are good in the feelings and good in the heart-centered, yeah. but they don't take the action. So yeah. it's like two mental switches, and I made them into phases because it almost gives you permission to step into a different energy to do it. They're two very different energies. And then, yeah, the third one is is when you have them integrated, when you can call upon both of them, and um, you can attune to what the moment needs and and bring that forward. Uh, and and those those childhood patterns, like I used to talk about it like as a healing thing, like it was something that you recovered from mm. the way that you rec- like get a cut and you heal it. Now I think about it as just a a relationship to it because it may not ever go away and likely won't but if we do if we do this work um it should get subtler and it should get quieter and where it may have been a 10 out of 10 controlling your life maybe it's just like a one and you're like oh yeah there's that thing again (laughs) whatever one breath and it's like okay cool
1: yeah, I, I we actually personify them a lot. I know with John's work, mm-hmm. we've done. Uh, I don't think you did this, but the persona. But even with my clients, we we identify what we call their survival mechanism. And we kind of make it humorous. Like I have heartbroken guillotine is one of mine. So I notice when I'm, when I go to cutting people's heads off, when I'm actually feeling sadness and grief, it's like oh that's just heartbroken guillotine, Evan. <laughs> you know what I mean? I have another one, sanctimonious saint. So I can get really righteous. Right. And there's a, there is a part of me that's doing it from the heart and for goodness and for truth. But when I get righteous and sanctimonious, I can just reflect and be like, oh, there's, there's the sanctimonious part of me. Right. And, and, and bringing humor to these parts that, like you said, aren't likely, aren't going to go anywhere. They'll soften and we'll build awareness around them. And then we're at choice. We can Mm -hmm. empower whether we want to live from that place Mm -hmm. or not in any given moment. But there's a idea that we're going to eradicate all our childhood woundings or all our programs. It's like, no, that shit was solidified. By the time you're seven, you're pretty solidified in yeah. a lot of that stuff. And it's not going to shift.
0: And when you, uh, sorry to cut you off, no, but like, you're perfect. when you form a relationship with it and you stop trying to like get past it and over it, there's gifts in every exactly. single one of them. Yep. So you learn how to work with it in the level of gifts and be aware of the shadows. Absolutely. And so you just become a more resourced human, where you have all these gifts in your toolbox. So you can look back and you can thank the experience that happened to you when you were three years old, versus like always trying to run from it or like heal from it. Um, makes us who we are. Totally. I love that, man. Let's uh,
1: let's talk about fatherhood. You're gonna you're gonna be a father, November, right? November, yeah, first for his child, how has that experience been preparing for that? What, what kind of, it's a, it's an initiation of sorts. I imagine
0: what's that experience been like for you just preparing to be a father. So much trust. If I can relate it back to this whole conversation, what we were just talking about, it's been a, very much just a point of clarity in my life that, my mind was pumping the brakes on until I realized like my heart was speaking so loudly that this was the, this was the experience that I, that I wanted to have in life. And I wanted to have it with this woman. And, and I was clear that I at some level I was ready. And I know you can't be like ready for all the details, but I felt ready. And, and, um, yeah, we just we made the we made the conscious decision that we we both were ready and we're like what what are we waiting for? Any any we can make up an excuse, we can mm-hmm. make up, a, it's not perfect, we can make up all these things, but at the end of the day, we we are both just like fully heart in and um made a baby. Did the hard work. <laughs> um definitely not the hardest part. <laughs> not the hardest part. <laughs> the most enjoyable part of the process. Um love the practice. <laughs> and uh no, but it it uh it actually it came it came quick and um you know, I think I think biologically it gets it gets real for the woman instantaneously. Yeah. And I think for the father, at least from what I've heard from other men, is it gets really real when the baby's in the world. Like that moment that the baby's up, in the world. Like,
1: oh, this is an actual tangible thing and it's breathing and now mm-hmm. I have to care for
0: it. Yeah. Have I, you been nervous? If I were to be honest, no. Um, I the way I relate to the sensation of nervousness is excitement. So anytime I feel that coming up, I'm just like, this is just excitement to go on this journey. Yeah. I f- I feel. And, And again, like some people are probably listening like, oh, you're an idiot. You don't know what's coming. But like I choose to believe that I'm ready. Like that's just what I'm holding. And I choose to believe that I've done the work that's required to be the best parent that I can be, to the best father that I can be to this child. And um, so, no, I'm I'm not nervous. I mean, do I honestly know that shit's going to come up that I have no idea how to deal with? Yes. But like I'm choosing to see that with excitement. And I have so much trust in myself and in the woman and the amazing, kind, loving woman that I'm doing this with to trust her as well, that we're going to be on the same page. We're going to figure everything out. And um, at the end of the day, I mean, I've done childhood trauma work with hundreds, if not thousands of people, like something we're going to do is going to screw this kid up. And I'm like, I'm not worried about that. One of
1: the most heartbreaking things of parenting is like, especially as people that are more have a language and experience and consciousness around that is like your kids are going to get traumatized. Yeah. Even if you're the most conscious, best parents, even if you know how to speak to them and hold them, things are going to happen sometimes at the effect of you, sometimes at the effect of life and other kids and, and people and culture around them that there's shitty things that are going to happen. And it's, it's almost one of those situations where it would feel like ignorance It's yeah. bliss, man. <laughs> yeah. It's like, fuck, I wish I didn't even have language for this because I'm seeing this thing and like, oh, God, she's going to carry that. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's going to show up when she's 20 or 25 mm-hmm. and, you know, feel hurt by that. And, of course, you do the best you can, but it's it's tragic, you know, existence, being here. You're kind of guaranteed some level mm-hmm. of, of pain and trauma and suffering that inevitably will have to be healed at mm-hmm. some point in your life if you choose to, of course. And as a parent, that is it's a it's a tough pill
0: to swallow, I think. Mm-hmm. Right. And my my only intention for that, I, I recognize that, and the intention that I've I've spoken to many times and I'm holding is that any time I become aware of that feeling of like, Oh, I just did something. Like I just, I just messed up. Um, my intention is just to, to come back to love and safety, just loving safe space, bringing patience and presence and when necessary, owning up to it and apologizing and like, and being completely vulnerable with my child. And, um, I think that that's just, I think that's the best that we can do when we do screw up, whether it's with children or with our partners is just just owning that. Whenever, ever any moment arises, that's my intention is if I become aware of it, I'm just going to come back to loving safety. Yeah. Um, and, and hopefully that doesn't do too much damage.
1: Well, it's interesting you speak to that because even in, in relational conflict as adults, we're really just dealing with each other's children yeah. anyway, yeah. you know, like the child. And so that I, I was in a podcast the other day on a podcast the other day and I was talking about the same thing. It's like, well, in the same way that when your partner is upset or heartbroken or gutted or feeling grief, what does a child need in that moment? They need to be held. Yeah. They need to be loved. They need to be co-regulated with their nervous system. So it's no different, right? And if you, most of us don't even have those skills at all, the majority of the population has no skill in dealing with their relational partner. They never learned that from their parents. They never received that type of love. So they have no idea. I actually feel quite bad for people. They have no idea how to be with their kids' emotions and upsets and how to really build, uh, how to repair and then also how to build that trust and safety that their children can have traumatic experiences. And to your point, we talked earlier, that's kind of like shaking it off. Right. Like it's kind of like resetting the nervous system when you can say, hey, I fucked up. Mm-hmm. I love you. I'm sorry. What do you need from me? Mm-hmm. Right. What do you need to, to feel this? And I think if a kid, if a kid can experience that from their parents, obviously they're going to carry that down the lineage. But also their their window of tolerance for what they can handle in life is really expanded. Mm-hmm. Right. They're not isolated or left alone or felt like they have to figure it out on their own, which I certainly felt like I had to when I was growing up. If I got upset. It's like, go to your room figure it out on your own. Or like I would run away. I just habituated to running away. What really what I needed was someone to come in and be close and someone to, to own their impact and be with it. And so how we relate to our children is such great practice and how we relate to relationship and, and vice versa. You know, there's so much, uh, yeah, there's just a lot to unpack there, but, uh, I'm really excited for you, man. It's going to be an incredible journey mm-hmm. and uh, you couldn't have done it with a better woman. You know, Victoria is just incredible. So Anything else that you kind of want to touch on as we wind down here?
0: Man, this was great. It's a great conversation. Thank you for having me on. Um I'm trying to think if there's anything else. Not that I can think of. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, let's call it there. We'll we'll have another chance, I'm sure to have many more of these conversations. Uh, I really appreciate your friendship. I appreciate The sanctuary that you are like you came here the other day and you you just bring peace and and love and kindness and such big heartedness in every room that you enter man and it's such a gift just to be in the presence of you uh because it reminds me just to relax it's such an integrated way of being in who you are there's no striving for relaxation it's just the way you are and so that really has an impact and i know that's going to have I know it has an impact on your relationship. It's going to have an impact on all the people that you serve and speaking to that, how can people find out about what you do, where to find you online and all that kind of stuff? How can people connect with you?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, w- I would say that, um, online, uh, Chris Marhefka on Instagram and, uh, chrismarhefka.com. Uh, but I mean, most importantly, the project we're doing together, yeah. which I'm sure we'll put in the show notes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we'll, we'll get more dialed in with
1: the announcements there, but for those that are listening to this, I'm not sure when we're going to drop this, but October 6th to 9th in Jacumba, California. Jacumba, California, just outside of San Diego, about an hour. We are running a men's retreat. Me, Chris, Alan McGrath, and Nick Warner, who I both interviewed on this podcast. and You can find those episodes as well. Uh, but I'll put that in the show notes mm-hmm. and uh, connect with us there. It's going to be really deep amazing transformational weekend a lot of the stuff we've talked about we're going to be working on a lot of that yeah. child work shadow work you know building vision purpose getting clarity learning how to execute and just being held by a group of really amazing men and, and practicing really hard so we can show up in the world as better leaders fathers husbands etc well said cool man all right love <laughs> you, brother Love it's great too. doing this Alright guys, I hope you enjoyed this episode with the legendary Chris Marhefka. Chris is literally like a walking Buddha. I don't know many more men that just emanate peace while simultaneously looking like and being a total badass warrior. He really brings the warrior monk vibe into everything that he does. I fucking love this dude. And if you're interested in working with Chris, you're definitely going to want to check us out at the Ascent Men's Retreat we're putting on together October 6th and 9th at Yacumba Hot Springs in Southern California. Listeners of this podcast can save $500 by using the discount code BROTHERHOOD at checkout. Act now because this offer is only good until September 30th and it will likely sell out. All right, thanks again for being here. I appreciate y'all. Don't forget to leave a review and we'll see you next time on the Undomesticate podcast. Stay sovereign.